Welcome to Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live via Giants.com. I'm Paul Dottino. He is Super Bowl champion Jeff Fiegels. Jeff, good morning. Glad to have you aboard again. Well, it's great to, great to be here. That's for sure. Uh, we are just cranking it out here on a Friday and uh, looking forward to another good show and a lot of exciting stuff happening. I think, you know, now that the draft is over, we got to find things to uh, attack and, and break down. So we're going to do some of that today. In addition to that, we will take your questions via Twitter, hashtag Giants Chat. You could always hit him up at Jay Fiegels and myself at Giants WFAN. But first up, the Giants took a safety out of Alabama in the second round of the draft. He was the 36th overall pick, and his name is Xavier McKinney. John Parker Wilson is the Alabama radio analyst. He is also a former Crimson Tide quarterback and played for a few years in the National Football League. Earlier, Lance Meadow and I had a chance to catch up to Wilson and ask him what McKinney brings to the table as a New York Giant. You know, I think you let Xavier um, just go out there and play football, to be honest with you. I know that's a simple answer, but that's kind of what he was uh, forced into do last year for Alabama. So, so what happened to us on defense last year was we had a ton of injuries. Dylan Moses, our middle linebacker, was hurt. Our uh, other inside linebacker was hurt in training camp. This is all, I mean, like week one of the season, a practice going in to the first game last year. So Xavier went from, you know, being a safety, which typically you don't think as, as that quarterback on the defense, right? Usually it's, it's the middle linebacker. Um, but Xavier was put in a role where, he had to be everything to everybody. He was the he was the oldest guy. He was the safety that was you know you could still kind of get there in the box and and align everybody and tell them what to do. Um, he had to do that all while maintaining the safety position, which is pretty important in the Nick Saban defense, which has to come down to the box, um, be a nickel defender at times, be a free safety defender at times, and also you got to come down there and be the strong safety to stop the run. So Xavier, to me, is a guy that, that can do it all. You just let him go out there and play ball. You line him against one of the best defenders. He can guard him man-to-man, or he can play deep in the middle of the field. Um, to me, he's got great great skill sets. He can play. He's athletic as it can be. But his leadership and his his ability to own the defense, to me, um, goes a long way. And playing for somebody like Coach Saban, who's a defensive-minded head coach, I know that'll translate well to the NFL. We've seen it with Coach Saban's defensive guys in the past. John, I'm glad you brought up deep down the middle of the field and his ability to do that because I think if you look at the giant safety mix right now, they are looking for a guy to serve as that complementary piece as a center fielder. Specifically in that facet of his game, what jumped out to you in terms of why he could be so effective there? I think his ability to understand offenses and know how they're trying to attack the defense, be it the middle of the field, be it the deep halves, and knowing, um, you know, route concepts and be able to play those. So as opposed to just lining up and playing man-to-man coverage and I'm going to guard this tight end or this slot receiver, it's knowing what's going on and being able to process that fast enough to go make the plays. A lot of the interceptions we saw was, was anticipation. It was being at the right spot at the right time, just knowing, you know, seeing it on film and being able to diagnose that and then react quick enough to make a play. I mean, it's, it's a pretty hard thing to do, right? So you see this in tape all week long. You've seen it right in the past. Boom, here it is on third and five to be able to go make that play. Xavier's got that football IQ to be able to go do that. And I feel like 
he was drafted in the second round, right? But he was the first safety taken. So I, I've been reading a lot of what the GM for the Giants has said, and we felt like he fell to us. We had super value. He ain't going to trade back if he wasn't there. But uh, this is a first-round guy. I know a lot of people had him mid-first-round uh, value, and I think I think he is a steal at the second round for the Giants. Well, John, there are a lot of assumptions that because he cramped up in his 40-time at the Combine and ran the four six three that that may have been the bruise that, that dropped him down some slots. Look, you and I both know that's the Underwear Olympics. It's all about how you play, what do you put on film, what do you put on tape. His play speed to you is something that, that should not be an issue to anybody, correct? Never never once um, was was been an issue. I've watched every snap for the past two years. I did the color for, for our radio networks. I've seen it all. And never once we ever said, Xavier was a step behind, just half a step, uh, and he would have made that play. You know, uh, I agree. The combine is, is great. There's a lot of good things that come out of it, but, but the four six, six speed to me never has been a question. His If he is a uh, half a step slow on the 40 down, he makes it up with all the intangibles that, that he has and that he has shown for the past couple of years. Coming in, I mean, you know, just a junior year here and, and, and in the Nick Saban offense. And, you know, this defense that we run is complex. It's sophisticated. There's tons of checks. There's tons of calls. The safety is obviously responsible for putting a lot of people in the right spot. And, you know, I've been in, in – I've seen NFL defenses too. They're, they're sophisticated. So he's going to be able to take that and immediately step in the role of being able to produce just because um, – the, the, the mental side of his game is going to be there. But that being said, I've got no question about his speed or his athletic ability on, on making those plays at the next level. John, this pick brought up a lot of memories for Giants fans because in 2015, the Giants traded up to grab another former Alabama safety in Landon Collins. I know you took over as the color commentator in 2018, but I believe you've been connected to the program for many years. I'm curious your perspective since Giants fans have seen Landon Collins before he left to the Redskins for many seasons. How would you say McKinney differs and maybe similar to Collins' skill set at all? So I, th- I think they're similar in aspects of, uh, you know, coming from the same background, they're going to have mentally, I think, the same makeup. And we've seen that a lot from, from guys from Alabama go to the next level of, you know, being hard-nosed, being able to come downhill, um, both great tacklers. Xavier, I think one of the things that maybe he doesn't get enough credit for is his tackling ability. Out there on the edge and the perimeter, and we know how offenses now are doing a lot more quick game and RPOs and, slants and, and just trying to find space and, and a defensive back, you've got to be a tackler. You've got to be able to wrap up middle of the field, just one-on-one and not wait for your buddies to come help you out. I think Xavier can do that. You know, Probably a little more ability for Xavier to play the middle of the field, to play that deep safety. You know, Landon was probably Landon was probably a little more of a, a strong safety type. I'd probably see Xavier playing more that that free safety type guy. So what do you think that McKinney's going to have to polish up if he's going to be a stud success in the National Football League? You know, I think it's just it's making the jump from college to pro. And it's um, I think he's been well-equipped to do that. A lot of things that, that, that we do at Alabama is, is similar, if not more difficult than NFL. One of the things we always said was, man, it's, it's so much easier practicing in the NFL than it was for Coach Saban because it's so intense. There's so much going on. Um, so it, that, that aspect will, it'll be a little easier, but for him, it's just 
being acclimated to the system, understanding the schedule and knowing, you know, that, that your day's not laid out for you like it is in college where you get class in the morning, you got, you got practice in the afternoon, and then you go to study hall at night. So it's just being a pro. I think it's, I think he's got all the things there. It's just, for me, it's just do what you did to get you here and he's going to be just fine. John, given the complexities of that defense that you referred to and how McKinney was challenged on the mental side of things, in addition to the physical side of things, how much responsibility did he have on his plate from what you've learned and what you know in terms of communication, getting the defense set? Because if they moved him around so much, I would assume that you know he also played a key role in making sure others were in the right spot to make sure that defense runs smoothly. So how much do you think he played a role with respect to that side of things? He, he, was, he was the guy. Uh, we had two true freshmen that came in and played inside linebackers for us after those injuries that I talked about. So at one time, Xavier, for most of the season, he was leading our team in tackles just because he had to be that guy down close to the box. At one point, I think he was second and third in the SEC in tackles, and this was not – this was halfway through the season. It went in one or two games in. He was a guy that was a force that had to come down there and get everybody lined up. I mean, he really did because um, we didn't really, you know, dumb down the playbook because we had new guys in it. It's, we went out and ran it and relied a lot on Xavier to, to be the guy down there in the box and also to put uh, the, the other two freshmen in the right spot. Also, meanwhile, the other safety, you know, was a young guy too – um, so he was he was he was the quarterback on defense for Alabama last year. There's no doubt about it. John, I don't know if this is a fair question, but we've had a lot of callers and a lot of people tweet us out that well, Isaiah Simmons out of Clemson was a five position player, and versatility was the key word for him. McKinney seems to be a four position player, and versatility is the key word for him. So a lot of folks have asked us, well, did the Giants kind of get their version of Isaiah Simmons in, in this draft? So I ask you, having also seen Simmons when he played for Clemson, how different are these guys, or will they both wind up in similar situations as they become professional? Yeah, I think I think Xavier's going to be a more of a perimeter-type guy, where Simmons is probably going to be a little more in the box, right? And, and they both can play the, the tight ends and the slot guys really well. But, uh, but I see Xavier being able to go that deep center field safety more than a Simmons would. Um, you know, that's just body type, and that's – Athleticism. They're both great players, don't get me wrong, but two different players, right? And I think Xavier, if he had to hone in and focus on one thing, um, he could be, he could be that guy. Cause it was just, hey, you're going to be a safety for us and we need you to play back. And then, you know, a nickel guy comes in and, and you're going to play the middle field. I think Xavier can do that. They're both super good players. Uh, but I think he's going to be more of a deeper, deeper, uh, safety type if he just had to put it down to one thing. John, in terms of developing all that versatility that you were just referring to, you look at 2017, he didn't start one game, so it's understandable that his numbers didn't jump off the page, but 18 and 19, you see he started to really be a true playmaker. Playing time snaps went up. I think that's stating the obvious, but from what you know, what was it perhaps behind the scenes that was going on in 17 that enabled him to truly make that jump to what we've seen in 18 and 19 production and mentally-wise? Yeah, I, I think he's a good kid. I think he, he really came in. And, you know, nowadays when, you, when you're recruited out of high school, I think there's one of two ways you can go. You can either come in and say, hey, I'm a five, four, five-star guy. I need to be playing immediately or I should be playing immediately. Or, 
hey, I'm a four or five star guy amongst everybody else that's four and five top rated guys in the country. Let me come in here and learn as much as I can. And then when I get my chance, I'll be ready. And I think Xavier was just that. When he came in in 17, obviously wasn't a starter. But then in 18 last year, next to Deontay Thompson, and then this year being the guy, to me, his evolution was steep. His his learning curve was very steep in coming in and, um, you know, having having to to learn in three years. I mean, like I said, the sophistication of our defense is, is high. It, it's, it's a high IQ. So to come in as a freshman, to be able to, to start to learn, to start to figure it out, to play the scout team, to understand offenses, to know what offenses are trying to do to beat you, to me, he, he did, he's done everything the right way along the way that's got him where he's at. If that makes sense, he's, he's put in the work, he's put in the time, he's come in, he's kept his head down, he's not a, a you know, loud talker guy, but I did love what he, he said pre-draft, he was like, you know, just turn on my tape, I think I'm the best safety. And to me, it wasn't a cocky or arrogant statement, it was like, I've, I've done everything I can. You know, just go watch, watch my product because, because he stood behind it. To me, that says a lot about him. He's got confidence. Um, and it's because he can back it up. John, there's something else that he said to the Giants media after he got drafted. When they asked him about the different positions, he said, look, I'm just a DB. And that says to me he's a team-first guy because he's, he's not caught up in names or, or where he plays. He just wants to help. You're exactly right. And, and as soon as you were saying that, Claude, that's exactly what I was thinking. Because DB wants, or, or a, a secondary guy typically wants interceptions, right? He wants pass breakups. That's sexy. That that's what you want. But last year, he was he was asked to come down and be a more in the box, down downfield, downhill a little bit more because he was needed. Didn't say a word. He just lined up, played football, and was there for the rest of his teammates. And I'm telling you what, last year. We needed him more than anybody because the injury we had, playing a lot of young guys, he was there team first, um, you know, always does and says the right thing. And I think it's just because he's such a good guy. He's a good friend. He's a good teammate. That's what you want out of the guys is, you know, start to build your defense around first round, second round type guy. Xavier McKinney, he has left buses. Like we said, the intangibles that he has on the field, on the sidelines, in the locker room. Um, he's a top-notch guy, he really is. John, interestingly, the Giants have Joe Judge as their head coach, who obviously worked under Nick Saban. I believe he came in just as you made the jump to the NFL, so I don't think you crossed paths with Joe Judge. The Giants running backs coach was also at Alabama. Because you know that Alabama network very well, and Nick Saban has connections all across the NFL because of his vast coaching tree, how much do you think it helped the Giants that they had those Alabama connections? Not that they weren't capable of scouting McKinney from afar, but really getting Nick Saban's perspective and the ins and outs of McKinney because of the established relationships already with Nick Saban. No question. I think the due diligence just shows an extra step, right? When you get a direct contact to someone in the building, and maybe it's Coach Saban, Maybe it's another um, weight staff guy. Maybe it's the the um, academic guy who you know checks and makes sure everybody's going to class. But Burton Burge, to me though, has been with Coach Saban since the start. He came in when I was there in 2007, the 2008 season. I know he's been now he's moved to the Giants, but um, you know Burton has been in a role where he can see every single guy, and he's he's an honest guy. He's going to tell you just the way it is. I mean, he is still a good, good friend of mine, and I think, you know, him going into that general manager's office and head coach's office and say, 
here's exactly what you're getting. The kind of things we talk about, just A plus character kind of guy. I think that goes a long way. I really don't. I mean, you can't, you can't miss too many times on these first and second round guys. And to have that extra layer of research and, and connectivity with the program, um, you know, that's what you want. If I'm, if I'm taking somebody that high, I want to know everything I'm getting. And, and they obviously have some inside sources at Alabama. Um, so much respect for Burton Burns, too. I wasn't there with Coach Judge, but Burton is, is as good as it gets in my book. Well, let me go right to that before we let you go, John, because you have the Judge, the Burns, you got the Jody Wright, and you got the Kevin Shear. A lot of Crimson Tide connections uh, that filter right here to East Rutherford. But let me talk about Burton for a second because he comes here and he's got somebody named Saquon Barkley in his room. Now, <laughs> that's going to make his job a whole lot easier. But what is it about him that you think is going to allow him to bring out even more in Barkley? Yeah, I mean, Coach Burns has been there. Derek Henry, Mark Ingram, Heisman Trophy winners. And to me... You know, being a coach with guys like that is, is, is understanding who they are, what makes them tick, how to get the most out of them, how to teach them, um, and be really a partner in their, you know, getting better as a player, as getting better every year. And to me, Coach Burns is, 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 is a guy that, that connects probably better than anybody I've ever seen with his players. He can go in there and, you know, get on to him when he needs to, but also be there to be a support system and to be there just not, you know, eight to five when you're at the football building, but, but throughout their whole lives, you know, even see guys come back. And now that, that Burton was there the whole time we were there, he's got so many people that he's the first person um, that people will go see, that people will go talk to. So for me, it's just his understanding of the position. He's been coaching it for so long. Now the X's and O's, obviously he's as good as it gets, but understanding what it takes to be a good running back, reading defenses, you know, reading blocking schemes and knowing how to hit the hole, where to hit it, when to, you just got to go up the middle and get no yards when, when, when a zero yard play is a good play. To me, he's got all of those things. He's got so many years of experience and then the relationships that he has with the players. That's to me been the, his success throughout his career. And he's produced so many good, uh, talents at running back. And if you just look at his, um, you know, hit less at running backs, it's, it's got to be, it's got to be some of the best running backs coaches of all time because he's got so many good players that, that he's been able to put out. That is Alabama radio analyst and former NFL quarterback John Parker Wilson with plenty to tell us about the former Crimson Tide defensive back. Now, Jeff, yeah, yeah there's a lot there to digest. We know about McKinney's versatility, and we discussed this uh, many times over the course of the last several days. But as he comes to the Giants, where do you suspect his first hurdle is going to be? Well, I think he's going to be at the free safety position. Um, you know, I know that Jabril Pepper is going to play that strong safety position coming off his injury. Uh, we'll see how he gets, you know, milked back, if you will. Um, and then you got Love, who played a lot of football last year, just learning that position. But I do believe when you take a, a guy like McKinney in the second round, uh, he's your starter. And I think he'll be at the free safety position. Now, you, you listen to the interview. Uh, his versatility is quite impressive. Free safety, he can play some linebacker. We know he can play some nickel. Um, and he's just very comfortable being on the field and playing any of those positions. But I think the Giants will try to master him at one of these, and I think it's free safety, and I think that's what he'll do well. Well, one thing we know for sure, coming from the Crimson Tide program and Nick Saban, 
his football acumen is going to help him as he tries to quickly make his way uh, through the giant system. Well, certainly I think it's important because when you look at this whole defense, Paul, they're all going to have to have a good acumen for football because they're learning a new system. Patrick Graham is coming in here, so even the veterans that are here are going to have to sharpen their pencils and pay attention a little bit because uh, there is going to be a new defensive scheme, new defensive system. Uh, we've heard it's a 3-4, multiple, 4-3, 2-9, 7-6-5, whatever, right? <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, the fact of the matter is, yeah, he's – and anytime uh, besides him, any type of football player that has a good IQ and, and acumen for football – that's even better because then the player doesn't have to think. Once you start thinking too much on the football field, you start making mistakes. And that's kind of some of the things that you see in the younger players. Uh, when you know that they're good football players, but they're just out there trying to put a square peg in a round hole, they're just thinking too much. Uh, they're putting way too much thought into a play, to a scheme. And a lot of times the coaches, Paul, will pull them aside and tell them that. Listen, don't think about this. Just go out there and play football and react. And, uh, you know, you heard about McKinney. You just let him on the field, and he's going to be fine. He's going to be really good. Well, certainly he has had a lot of accolades coming out. Many people thought he would be a late first-round pick, and somehow the Giants were able to get him at pick number 36. Yeah, but think about how they got him. I mean, it was kind of what we thought would happen. We didn't know what position, Paul, it was going to happen at. But we knew that somewhere down the line, someone was going to get pushed out of that first round because there was going to be a run on players in the first round. And this is what happened. And lo and behold, the Giants sitting there at the fourth pick in the third round, in the second round, got lucky. They got real lucky. And some people think that McKinney might have been the steal of the draft. Um, and when you look at what the Giants did last year with DeAndre Baker trying to had to go up and get him, well, they didn't have to go up and get McKinney. They just he just fell right in his lap. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things I think that's very interesting about McKinney, and you know, we we've addressed this before a lot of time in the slot. And you and I have discussed the fact that Julian Love was a rookie out of Notre Dame last year. And even though he did play some there, the Giants had forecasted him at one point to be their next free safety to replace Antoine Bethea, who is now uh, since no longer with the team. McKinney's ability to play over 200 snaps in the slot this past season is going to kind of tease the Giants to work him out in there. But I tend to agree with you. I think he's going to wind up being the starter next to Peppers. Well, I, I, and, and it's not going to hurt him that he took 200 snaps at, at slot, right? I mean, that's, that's okay. Um, but I agree with you because I think that his natural position is a free safety. He's got great ball skills. He's got great speed. He, I mean, well, listen, he doesn't have great speed. He has good on-field speed. Right. And I feel play like speed, they call play it. Play speed. I think that he, you know, he, to, he said that at the combine he cramped up before he ran his 40, and that's why the time was so high. And maybe that was one of the reasons it could have been why he dropped. But the fact is he was telling the media that he, he, runs, he was running four fives at his training days at Alabama. He was looking forward to uh, putting that 40 to bed and running another one, but they didn't have the, their pro day. So, um, and, and listen, I, I think, Paul, we've been around football enough to know that there are guys that run faster on game day, that play faster. They just don't know how to run a 40. Listen, it's all about technique and, and things like that, running the 40-yard dash. It's a track position. If, you, if, you're, if you're not used to running that type of a sprint or you don't have great technique, it'll be indicative to, this, to the time. So I feel like I've always believed that I, I, I have the 40 time is great to talk about. It's impressive. But I like to see, and we both watch enough film to know, 
That guy's not a 4-6 player right there. Look at how fast he closes in on the ball. Look at how fast he goes from A to B. And so th- that means more important to me than a stupid 40-yard dash in what they call an underwear, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I know you agree with me there, right? Uh, honestly, please. <laughs> come on. You're setting me up with a softball right on the tee right there. You know how, you know how I feel about that stuff. <laughs> I'm all about the players and the tape. Uh, let, let me ask you about uh, uh, something that came up the other day. I believe it was the New York Post reported it, and that was about the prospects of what's going to happen with the NFL schedule in the fall. Now, all of us understand that the government and the medical people are going to have to decide exactly how they're going to proceed before the NFL does. But one thing that was that was broached was the possibility that the NCAA football season would not occur this fall, and that would open up Saturday dates if the NFL is to play to mix in some Saturday NFL games so that we may have Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday nights of NFL football. I'm curious, Jeff, from your perspective as a guy who played this game for a long time, how would you feel about adding those games into the schedule? We know that at the end of the season – the NFL always would sneak a couple in there. Remember, the NCAA and the NFL had reached an agreement that the pros would not play on Saturday because that was reserved for the colleges. And they would only do that at the end of the year and then obviously in the playoffs when you had to deal with the wild cards. But what do you think about mixing in some Saturday NFL action earlier in the schedule? I think it's fine as long as every team, you know, it's, it's, it, it's fair. You know, I think that, you know, you look at each division and, um, you know, you hope that how many how many of these Saturdays are guys? I just want it to be fair. That that's I don't really care what day I play on. I do know the turnaround sometimes can be ridiculous from a Sunday to a Thursday game. A Sunday to a Saturday game isn't that big of a deal. Um, and then also, you know, when you play on a Monday night, as usually, so you, you get used to it, Paul. I think that any way that the league can get games on TVs for the fans. Um, in these certain times when you're missing college football, because, listen, there's a lot of people that don't like college football. They love pro football. But there's a lot of people like myself that actually like college football more than pro football that we're, are really going to miss it. But So you got to fill it somehow, right? So you're going to have to go, and, and Saturday would be fine with me, as long as it's fair for everybody. It can't be 100% fair. I mean, there's going to be some times where a team is – and, man, I don't, I don't know how these schedule makers do this stuff. I mean, I, I know there's one, the schedule's coming out here soon, and, you know, there's a lot of contingency plans. They're, they're building into this new schedule that they can change things around, and God bless them. I'll tell well, you what. Well, I tell you what, I'd say this. The, the <laughs> folks who sit in that room in the oh NFL offices goodness. and make out the schedule, if they don't have cases of aspirin outside that door, <laughs> I don't know how in the world they do it. Well, I'll tell you what, what will make it a little bit easier, even though they don't know, they don't have this information now, it would make it a lot easier if they did know that the, can- the season was canceled, right? Then they could actually have those Saturdays to put into those algorithms to be able to spit games out. But they don't have that. But most likely... There is a scenario, you know, A through Z, and one of them or two of them or three of them have to include Saturday games going forward. Yes. Yeah. All right, let's hit some Twitter questions up because we've had a lot of those over the course of the last week and have been unable to get to some of them because of either news or because of guests that we've had on the show. But we have time this morning, Jeff, so I'd like to try to get to some of them. C.J. C.D. Clemens Jr. says the Giants picking up uh, Evan Ingram's fifth-year option – 
not necessarily that interesting because he thinks that GM Dave Gettleman has said multiple times you don't quit on talent. And Ingram is a great locker room guy, a hard worker, and has so much talent. Yeah. So what are your thoughts? Well, I was um, I was with on with Lance a few days ago, and, and I, I when it was asked a question about either one of these twos, and I, and I said that Jabril Peppers would be probably the one that I would pick up before Evan Ingram. Um, and they, and the giants ended up picking up both of them. So good for them. Okay. Um, and I, I feel like it's a, this is a, this is a make it or break it year. I mean, just because they pick up his fifth year doesn't mean that, that, that it's fully guaranteed until the first day of the new league year next year. Okay. So they could still, if, if, if Evan Ingram gets hurt this year and again, misses multiples and multiples games, they still can, they still can release him. Right. So mm-hmm. they don't have to. It's not fully guaranteed. Um, however, the only thing that's fully guaranteed for your first fifth year is for injury. Okay, um, but and the and the the salary is fully guaranteed on the first day of the new league year, which is right around March something. 20. Right. So, so, but my my take on it is this: the Giants are sitting there going, "He's one of our better receivers, even though he plays tight end. Um, he's had a lot of off season rehab." So he's going to be ready to play at the beginning of the year. And let's just show us. It's a show-me year for, for Evan Ingram is what this is. Now, I, I think that I think he's going to have a good season. I think the guy is, unfortunately, he does get hurt. Um, but maybe he's doing some things this offseason to be able to uh, help him prepare for things that have gotten him hurt in the past. Hamstrings, ankles are kind of tough. You never know about those. But... My point is, is that I think they're they're happy to have him back, but I think they, they really need to see something out of him this year. All right, we go to uh, Jay Latz. Who's, Jay. Jay says, great draft for the Giants, solved the offensive line, and brought in a lot of team speed. I keep hearing that most of these picks are great leaders or have been captains for multiple years and come from big programs as well. Do you think that was intentional to build a Joe Judge type of team? Well, I, I don't know if like the first the first item on the board is, you know, do you have to be a captain and can you be a leader? I think all of those are great intangibles that actually help when you're doing your due diligence and your evaluation uh, one over another. Like if, you know, for instance, if one of the guys has been a, a four year captain, three year captain, you're certainly going to look at him in a little different way. Um, but I do believe that it makes a big difference because. Obviously, Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge know the type of locker room and atmosphere and chemistry that they want to build within the locker room, and they're not going to bring guys in that are just going to defunct that whole system. No way. I think one that one of the other threads that we have seen with with all these guys that the Giants have brought in, whether it was free agency or whether it was through the draft, is that there is some type of pipeline or tentacle, if you will, that connects the Giants staff to where these guys are coming from. And I can't say enough the influence that that seems to have had on a lot of their personnel moves. And I think it's for a lot of reasons. I think, yes, they want guys who come from the type of mentality and the type of environment that they know and that they they believe is necessary to succeed. I also believe it comes from the fact that they know a ton more about these guys. And obviously what they know is positive. And in this very strange offseason that the NFL is having, the more you know about a guy and the more that you like about what you know, the better off you believe you're going to be. you got to also remember it goes the other way. 
So, you know, you have a link between these coaches on other teams and pro college, what have you. Um, scenario A, the Giants like player X, and he starts to have a conversation with that coach, that position coach, or somebody that they have a relationship. And there's news there that they don't want to hear. Oh, my, really? We didn't realize that he was that type of person. We didn't realize that he is a guy like that. And that can turn them off from picking a player. So a lot of these guys that have these mock drafts have the guys going to the Giants. Well, they might have had, a, a you know, their due diligence and, and their investigations and all the stuff that they do might have turned them off from that player. So that happens on the flip side of it too, Paul. Think about that. Well, I think this particular equation or balancing the scale is a lot to do with our next question. MC says the Giants should claim defensive end Taco Charlton off waivers after he was just waived by the Miami Dolphins. Again, uh, this is a guy who was a former first-round pick with the Dallas Cowboys in 2017. He had five sacks this past year for the Dolphins. And there's no doubt that Patrick Graham, the Giants defensive coordinator and associate head coach, knows all about Charlton because he helped coach him in Miami last year. So to your point, if there's a lot there that Graham really likes, I'm sure they'll tap into that and Graham will give him a huge thumbs up and say, guys, we should consider him. If there is stuff there that maybe Coach Graham was not exactly thrilled with, They'll have that conversation, and he will go thumbs down. That yeah. doesn't mean that they will do exactly what he says, but it's it's very unlikely that they would not at least have a conversation with him about it. Well, thinking about it in this in this in this concept, so Patrick Graham was at the Dolphins last year. Taco Charlton came to the Dolphins last year from Dallas, right? So he obviously had a say of some sorts, being the defensive coordinator, if he wanted this guy. So maybe maybe he does like him. Maybe he does see an opportunity here. Um, I, for one, like to give guys second chances. Um, I don't know anything about off-field. In, in I don't know what's happening here. But when you're on a couple teams in, in a few years, the little red flag goes up for me. Um, and I'm sure that they can do their, their due diligence and in investigating on what's happening. But Patrick Graham may want this guy here. Hey, you're losing 10 sacks by Marcus Golden. You need to find him somewhere, um, and we'll see what happens. Well, let me add this to you, though. This would be a third chance for Charlton because he's already been with the Cowboys and the Dolphins yeah. and has not lived up to his potential in either place. So if if yeah. some other team wants to take a shot at him, and remember, coming out of college, he was regarded as a pretty fierce pass rusher. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that he fits the Giants' scheme or the Giants' uh, system or or their locker room or or any of those other things yeah but the fact that he has struck out twice before that's going to give you pause i think before you bring him in whoever that third team may be if he gets another chance well here's the other thing we can look at if you want to keep comparing a lot of what joe judge is doing because of where he came from bill belichick really has brought in some people with some baggage before right so it wouldn't surprise me if joe judge says I'm going to do the same thing, you know, and maybe set a, a new set of rules for this guy when he comes here and says, I, listen, I'm going to give you a chance. But uh, if you don't, if it doesn't work out, you're gone, a.k.a. Brown up in the, you know, I'm just saying things happen like this. So don't be surprised if he, if he ends up here. You never know. 
All right. Now, Justin uh, sends us, uh, actually puts a photo out to Giants chat, of wow. an autographed photo of Lawrence Tynes okay. kicking the overtime game-winning field goal at Lambeau okay. against the Green Bay Packers. And he says that his favorite part about this shot is the story behind it, noting that Tynes had missed two kicks and then ran out uh, onto the field in yep. overtime, past Coughlin, and nailed it. And then two weeks later, against the Patriots, does kick a field goal, which, let's not kid ourselves, despite the fact that it was the game-winning touchdown snared by Plexico Burris, Tynes is three points earlier in the game, winds up being actually the margin of difference, Jeff. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, I think that um, he was so confident that he was going to make that kick, and that picture... That's a, such a great picture. I have that same picture, by the way. Um, it's on my wall in my office. And uh, I have it framed, and I have a, a ticket, the ticket from the game. And just seeing that kick and seeing Booth, I, I, I can see. I don't know, it's not in front of me, but I just know it. I can see it. Um, Jay Alford snapping me that football. It's just crazy. I mean, what a great what a great kick. It was so cold, and I love that picture, too, and I'm glad he does. It's, it's amazing. It really is. But, but – you know, Lawrence had so much confidence um, after missing the couple that he did. He wanted to redeem himself, and he certainly did. He certainly did. Let me ask you about the Super Bowl against the Patriots because he's right. Two weeks later, you know, Tynes does kick the one that uh, – The first quarter, the, first drive. Yes, in Arizona. Well, Giants go over eight minutes. Yeah. They just dominate the clock. Eli Manning takes them methodically downfield, and the Giants immediately get three points on the first possession of the game. Mm-hmm. How important was that field goal, first of all, do you think, for the team, and how important was it for Tynes to make it for him personally? Yeah, I think it was important for the team just to get out ahead. You know, we want to, the whole purpose behind what our game plan for that for that game was to take run the football, right? I mean, take time off the clock, keep that offense off the field. And they didn't. It, you know, if we hadn't made the field goal, um, it would have ruined the whole the whole thing there. And I think that making the first one gets confidence in Lawrence's head again, because you know sometimes field goals come down to the very last kick in a Super Bowl. We've seen we've seen misses, we've seen makes, we've seen Vinatieri's, and we've seen uh, what's his name from Buffalo, um, Norwood, Norwood. <laughs> so we've seen that before. Was there any um, talk about during the course of uh, the time between the Packer game and the Patriots Super Bowl? Was there any talk in practice about how Lawrence had missed the two in Green Bay? Or was that something that was immediately forgotten after you guys beat the Packers and you just move on and don't even talk about it? We don't talk about it. The only time we talk about it is um, if you're fortunate enough to keep playing in the playoffs, you've got to have meetings, right? So the next week we just we review the, we review the game film. Uh, we make corrections, and after that, it's put to bed, uh, good, bad, whatever, and you move on. And then you start your preparation for the next game, and that's all we did. Do you recall what happened in your mind on the two misses at Lambeau? Yeah, I think that they were just, you know, they were just bad kicks, really bad. I mean, uh, Lawrence will I, – I've never heard, heard him heard him talk about him, but I understand when I see the ball come off his foot the way it did – um, there is a technical error somewhere in there, plant foot, you know, toe point, listen, cold weather, uh, all kinds of different things come into effect there, but they were just, um, just bad kicks and he knew them. I mean, right when they went off his foot, he knew they were no good. And I'll tell you, they were ugly. <laughs> they had no chance at all. <laughs> 
thank goodness he was able to redeem himself by the yes. end of the day. Yeah. And that just goes to show you how great of a pro he is. And I, I think that people need to understand the kickers um, and even the punters. I mean, it's such a mental game that we play against ourselves. Um, you know, we're perfectionists. We want to make every kick. We want to ha- we want to have every ball go out at the two yard line, punting, what have you. Um, and we practice it so much that you think it's going to be routine, but there are human elements to this stuff. Weather uh, has an effect. The other thing that you have to understand too is that how cold um, that game was, mm-hmm. and kicking the football, kicking off, um, warming up, and. There was an instance, and I don't know, I, I think this had to play in it, but I think that Lawrence's, the top of his foot was bruised from kicking off. It was disgusting. After the game, Jeff, I was at his locker, yeah. and he showed it to us. Yeah. It it looked like someone had dropped a bowling ball on right. it. Yeah. yeah, because, you know, when it's cold like that and that ball is frozen, your foot's frozen. It's not You're not used to that. And... Um, you know, that probably had a little bit of a determination, a little bit of a factor on some of those other kicks, and the one that, that really worked was the one that counted. That's good. All right, so Christopher Kane tweets out to us, the interior of the Giants' defensive line is one part of the team that should be fresh and have a great rotation between B.J. Hill, Dexter Lawrence, Dalvin Tomlinson, Leonard Williams, and Austin Johnson, and he says, by the way, this guy can play, yeah. is a nice unit. And then he says linebacker Blake Martinez can clean up having these guys in front of him. Just a great edge and an all-around linebacker uh, thinks that this is going to bode well for the defense. Well, he's a, he's a, he's a defensive captain coming over from the Green Bay Packers. Um, they always have good linebackers there. And you're right. Uh, he has those guys in front of him. They're going to occupy those offensive linemen, and he's going to be able to get up there and make some tackles. Uh, make some sacks and make some big plays. And he's a smart guy, um, competitor, and he's the one. He's, he just loves football. You can tell he's a, he, that he just loves the game of football. Once again, the kind of guy that Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman want on your football team. They want football players. So yeah, good point there. They're, and the rotation um, is going to work because that's why they brought in. That's why they have all those guys. And we'll see if it's a three or a four line alignment that they're going to use but they will be rotating those guys in and out martinez coming from the packers where coach graham was at one time his linebackers coach coach. that's right so there's a lot of uh symmetry going on here with with a bunch of these guys who are coming into the uh, big blue locker room online big blue says how will the giants generate a pass rush in 2020 uh, we know that as it stands now, Martinez is the only man on the roster who has put up double-digit sacks in a single NFL season. Well, it's going to come through scheme. Um, you know, that's kind of been the buzzword for the whole offseason. And it's been the one question is where are they going to get the pass rush from? Well, it's going to become it's going to come from Patrick Graham's noggin. Um, and every week they're going to game plan it. It's going to come from, you know, uh, just trying to do things to – uh, match up and scheme their way through that offensive line and get pressure on the quarterback. It's going to, and listen, it can come from all levels. It can, the back seven got faster this year. Mm-hmm. Um, they had to. So that's a good thing. And, you know, Lorenzo Carter and, and X-Men are fat. They're fast dudes. Um, so look for them to be a big part of this. And, um, I think that that's just going to be it's just going to come from different areas but I think that one thing that I would like to see and I'm hoping to get get it is some pressure and some sacks from the middle of that defense the middle of the, the, the you know the linemen 
inside. Well, that would certainly help them. I think the Giants, as you said, are going to go with multiple schemes. But I also think the the direct improvement from the guys that you mentioned, X-Man and Carter, are going to be ultra important if the the Giants are going to raise that number. And to be honest with you, I don't know what to expect from a couple of the outside linebackers who they brought in during the draft. Cam Brown out of Penn State. We understand he's a special teams demon. But at 6'5", 230-plus, this is a guy with length. Uh, Look, the Giants don't have enough of established pass rushers not to take a look at these guys. Carter Coughlin out of Minnesota, 6'3", over 235 pounds, was an edge rusher with the Gophers. And, you know, we've heard that he does a very good job with his quickness, his his uh, technique, his ability to get around guys. The Giants are going to have to give all of these folks as much of a look as possible to see if they got a diamond in the rough. Who's to say one of these guys can't come up with some numbers for them in the sack category? Certainly they're going to welcome it. That's a guarantee. Well, they have enough guys to compete for some positions, and that's what it's going to be all about. It's just a matter of when. When are these guys going to get on the field? When are these guys going to start practicing? And when are they going to be able to start competing against one another? Because the best guys are going to play. Joe Judge said that in his in his opening day press conference when he was hired. The best guys on the field will play. I don't care how old you are, okay, how young you are, when you were drafted. He said that. So that's going to be the way it's going to be. Every week, you're going to earn your job. I like it. It's the way it should be. This is a really interesting tweet, Jeff, because I haven't given much time to to this one. Well, that's why we like these tweets. Helmet Catch Pod, very unique name. Uh, (laughs) He he gives us a mini list of the Giants draft, and he wants to know what would be our pick for each category. His favorite pick is Andrew Thomas. His biggest sleeper is Matt Parrott, and his biggest steal is Tay Crowder. What are your oh. thoughts? Well, I like the first two. Um, I don't know if Tay Crowder's a steal, um, just because I think if he was a steal, it would, uh, you know, when you're the last pick of the draft, I don't know how much of a steal that is. Um, maybe a steal that you stole them out of free agency. Maybe that's what I guess we're looking at. I'm going to give you the biggest steal as being Shane Lemieux. Really? Okay. In the fifth um, round, because I think that based on everything we've heard about him, this guy is going to be a stud offensive lineman in the National Football League. The, the things I've heard about him were a lot of the same things I heard about Richie Soribert. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Pert or Parrot. Parrot. Say, is it Parrot? Parrot. I, I, I think that this guy is going to be a heck of a football player. I, I just don't think he's played a lot of football. And I think that he's going to be, we're going to look at him in a year from now and be like, wow, I think this was the steal. I really do. And the other guy I like that we don't talk a lot about, but we've talked a little bit about, that I think has a chance to win here. I think he has a good chance to be a good player in the next one or two years, maybe two years, two years from now. And that's Cam Brown from Penn State. I like his size. I like his versatility. I like his drive. I like the way he plays special teams. And I think he might be one of those players where you look back on I can't tell you now, but maybe in a year or two from now, this says to yourself, you know what? We talked about this guy when they drafted him, and we thought he was a steal. Well, look what he's doing, you know? So a lot of good guys. Darnay Holmes is another guy that a lot of people think that that got a good, good steal in the draft from this guy. Um, We'll see. See, Time will tell. 
I, I don't know that, that Parrott is so much of a sleeper because I think a lot of people understood that he got to football late and he was going to need a little bit of time to mature, especially as he comes up to the NFL. So I think drafting him in the third round was actually terrific value, and I don't know if, if you would call that a sleeper. I think maybe, just maybe, Carter Coughlin uh, out of the seventh round, the the edge rusher for Minnesota, the kinds of things that that I'm hearing about him, he he seems to be, and I'm not going to compare his game to this player, but in terms of the qualities that he brings to the table outside of the actual skill set, he sounds an awful lot like a Chase Blackburn type to me. Let me ask you a question, Mister Detino. How about this? Of the of the ten undrafted rookie free agents. Well, they got sixteen of them now. It's more than that. Well, okay, the, the, well, the last, the, the last, the ten before the other six that were whatever. Give me, give me, give me one of your guys out of that group. Oh, I already got my guy. It's Austin Mack, the wide receiver out of okay. Ohio State. Okay, he's yeah. my guy. He's my guy. I, I, out of out of all of those guys who they they brought in as uh, undrafted rookie free agents, and again, those agreements are still pending physicals to make sure that everything uh, squares away exactly the way it's supposed to. Uh, I'm I'm definitely a big fan of Austin Mack. I think that wide receiver out of Ohio State, you look at his numbers at 6'2", 215. Yes, I understand that he didn't put up gaudy stats with the Buckeyes. But again, this is a team that had so much talent, so much ability. We know that they were able to, 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 to get the ball into a number of people's hands. So that you know that's not to be held against him that he did not have gaudy stats. I know his teammate Benjamin Victor at 6'4", a uh, wide receiver who caught a bunch of touchdown passes for them is also uh, going to be headed to Big Blue. But Mac, to me, I like his length. I like his physicality, his toughness, uh, his strength. He clearly plays with strength. He he's, he really attacks the football. If you watch clips on him, Jeff, he attacks the football. He doesn't want to let 50-50 balls go to the other team. He wants to own those. Very good at the sideline, solid route runner. Uh, that's That right now, going in without having a chance to see any of these guys at a rookie minicamp, Austin Mack is my favorite dark horse of the undrafted ones. Well, hopefully they uh, certainly all of them get a chance to show what they got sooner than later. <laughs> We're going to have yeah. to find out about that and – um, you know, as time goes on here, we get closer and closer to the NFL season. And when you really look at the NFL, they're lucky in the sense that their season has, is in September. Um, with all these other sports that have, are actually going on now, it's a lot more difficult. So uh, we're all excited about it, and that it's fun talking about these guys. Every year we've tried to pick some one or two guys that we think is going to come out of the draft that, that didn't get drafted, it does well, and and it you know we always have those those sleepers, if you will. Paul, I know you and I always talk about the guy when we're in training camp, looking at who's kind of lighting it up, and we we get excited about those guys. Maybe one of them is is uh, one of these wide receivers that they got. Yeah, it's, uh, look, there's certainly going to be an opportunity for a wide receiver to steal a spot on the depth chart. I don't think there's any question about that. Well, yeah, because we also thought the Giants were going to probably maybe go grab one of those wide receivers in the draft, and they certainly didn't. They stayed on the offensive line side offensively and then then they just dealt out all the rest of them on defense yeah that's no that's very true and i think they knew what they were doing they must have thought in the back of their minds we're going to be able to pick up some quality prospects at the wide receiver spot 
if we just hold on and see what we could do about getting speedy, athletic, defensive players through the selection process, it's going to be okay because we have our eyes on these other fellas, and they wound up coming up with a number of receivers. In fact, let's see. There's Mac Victor. There's Ryson John, who is a wide receiver slash maybe tight end prospect out of Canada at six foot seven. So when you consider and there's also Derek Dillon. I mean, let me not forget him out of LSU. Only 5'8", 186. He's more on the smaller side, kind of fits in with the other guys in the Giants wide receiver room. But a guy who was productive at LSU, and I, I've had people already contact me and say, boy, he's a player too. So I think the Giants knew that they were going to be able to get their hands on some legit talent at the receiver spot if they had just waited around long enough. And it looks like uh, that is exactly how it uh, turned out for them. I got another question for you. Uh, uh, I almost said Lance. I mean Jeff. Yes. Yes. And this yes. one is about the running backs. Um, this this question comes from uh, John of Long Island and says, what about the depth at running back behind Saquon Barkley? Should he get hurt as he did last year? How do you see the snaps shaking out? Now, before you answer, let me set you up with the Giants have Deion Lewis, the yep. former Tennessee Titan who's now in the locker room, right. as well as holdover Wayne Goldman. Yep. Um, those are the experienced guys. They brought in uh, Javon Leak, a running back who had a lot of success, averaged over eight yards a carry at Maryland. He was one of the free agent signees at six feet, just over 200 pounds. And if I'm not mistaken, let me just confirm this 100% for sure, I believe John Hillman, the Rutgers uh, running back, who was with the Giants last year during the preseason. If I'm not mistaken, he is still on the roster, is he not? I don't know that, but I know Eli Penny is another one of those that you can put in. That Eli group. Penny, yeah. the, the the pseudo fullback. Yep. Yep. All right. So how how does this shake out? Should Barkley get nicked up? Well, I'm still a little bit confused, and I don't know. And you might have the answer to this: that where we Wayne Gallman was a healthy scratch for the last four or five games of the year. By the way, John Hilleman is still signed to the Giants. Okay, so there's your group of competitors that basically is going to make up. Um, there'll be four of them. So uh, I believe that Deion Lewis will be here, and I believe that Eli Penny will be here and Saquon. So we're talking about one other guy in there. Uh, could have been Javon Leak, uh, Wayne Gallman, or Julian Hillman. And, I, you know, those guys are going to have to battle it out. Eli Penny is going to be here because they're, they're, this offense will have a fullback. Um, Deion Lewis is a guy that can come in and play and, and give – Saquon a little bit of breather when he wants to. Um, very productive, very productive running back um, in the National Football League, coming from the Titans and then previously with the Patriots. Wayne Gallman, Paul, I don't know. I, I don't know what happened to this kid. I don't know where he, if he got in the doghouse, what happened to him last year, but he was a healthy scratch for, I don't know, maybe the last four games of the season. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I don't know if you ever knew what happened there, um, but it's – so he'll have to come in, and again, Joe Judge has said, everybody's going to have a clean slate and you can compete. So I always thought he's a good football player. Well, Gallman, you'll also know, a little bit bigger than Deion Lewis. Who, who oh, yeah. I've, I've, I've always thought that, that Deion Lewis was more of a third down back, but I shouldn't slight him because he did run for almost 900 yards back yeah. in 17 with the Patriots mm-hmm. when he was more of a regular down carrying back. Yeah. So, you know... I don't, I don't want to slight him because he did show that 
during one of his seasons under Bill Belichick. And obviously we know the influence that Belichick has on Joe Judge. But nonetheless, for me, I've always thought he was a little bit more of a of a pass catcher out of the backfield. And I wonder if they did have to get a primary ball carrier on the field if Barkley were to get injured again. I wonder if Goldman is not better served to do that. Yeah, out of the group there. I out think of the group. Probably, yeah, I think he probably would. He's a bigger back. Um, but again, like you said, I mean, Deion Lewis, he he could uh, he could carry the workload. We've seen him do it before, although he is a little bit older. Um, I'm really interested to see Javon Leak. I want to see him practice. I want to see him play. Um, he might have a he might have a chance to make this team on the practice squad. Uh, or maybe the regular roster, who knows? But I'd like to see him play. But I think the answer would be Wayne Gallman um, for an everyday. He's got to hold on to the football. He's got to hold on to the football a little bit, you know. So we just hope, uh, you know, this we don't it doesn't come down to this. <laughs> well, well you know? I, I, exactly. Can we just all hope that Barkley stays healthy for the full season? Yeah, yeah. Because I know it was tough last year on him. You know, being out. Dan Bev tweets out uh, John Rison, the uh, six foot seven product out of Simon Fraser University D two school in Canada, says uh, he could be another Plexical Burris. Uh, I'd put uh, put some brakes on that comment right now. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, a I, Division I, two school up uh, in Canada. <laughs> I mean, I'm intrigued. I, I think I'm listen, intrigued, let's, but yeah. let 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 you know. I'm, well, I'm going to tell you something. Plexico Burris, for his three and a half years that he was with the Giants, was one of, if not the most dynamic wide receiving big play weapon that the Giants have ever had. And that's with all due respect, because Amani Toomer is the greatest receiver in Giants history. But you talk about the concentrated years that Plexico was here, and the type of big plays that he made. I have tremendous regard for the tape that he put on the field. And again, that is not to disrespect Amani Toomer, who is the greatest receiver in Giants history. And it's also not to even disrespect what Odell Beckham Jr. did, what Victor Cruz did, or what Homer Jones did many years ago. Yeah, I think that the comparison would be from the measurables. You know, six foot seven, six foot five, a big target. A guy that you can throw the ball to in the end zone, back you know, back shoulder fades, those type of comparisons. Um, you got you got a long ways to go to be a plastic burst, that's for sure. Final Twitter question for us. Actually, it's a comment from Vicious Sid says, having fourth priority in waiver claims, I'd expect the back half of the ninety-man roster and also the fifty-five-man roster to be turned over regularly. Now, you'll remember the Giants had made a a waiver claim a couple of years ago when they were very high on the list, and they picked up Jamon Brown, the offensive lineman who had been waived by the the Rams. And over the course of the second half of that season, Brown actually did okay. Yeah, he did. You know, he in 2018, the Giants had two guys come into the offensive line midway through the year. That would be Spencer Pulley at center, and Jamon Brown, who wound up coming in at right guard. And what happened? The Giants' offense improved immeasurably, especially in the run game. Well, well and then Jamon Brown went free agent to... And Zeitler came in. Right. Mm-hmm. Zeitler came in via trade. Yep. And so Brown wound up going to the Falcons. I believe he signed the day after Zeitler came over in the trade from Cleveland. And you understand the upgrade to Zeitler is not an insult to Jamon Brown. But Zeitler is a very good player. 
and they were able to get him and pry him away from the Browns. And so that's the reason that Jamon Brown wound up going elsewhere. And then obviously Spencer Pulley wound up losing uh, the job in a competition with uh, John Jalapio. Well, that'll be an interesting competition again this year because we'll see what happens with uh, Lemieux, if they're going to maybe try to put him in there at the center position. I also mentioned the other day that the fact that um, there's, you know, Zeitler's on it. This is his last year of his contract. So, you know, looking forward to future in 2021, um, if all these guys are plug and play and put them in there, you're going to have a nice, young, really good offensive lineman going forward for a few more years, that's for sure. Well, you know, you mentioned Zeitler's uh, uh, contract and mm-hmm. how, how he is signed. And here's what's interesting about it, okay? The Giants have one more year with Zeitler under contract through the 2021 season. Right. Okay? Now, they've got themselves. Think about this. Oh, so he has one more year after this one? Yes. Oh, okay. I yes. Was, I, I'm sorry about that. I was telling people that this was his last year. So no, he is signed through 21. Okay. But sure. here, here's my point, and one of the reasons why I, I really appreciate what Dave Gettleman did when he drafted offensive linemen in this round, taking three of them, because – he now has the opportunity to have either Nick Gates or if for some reason Shane Lemieux is not prepared to win the starting job or, or is unable to wrestle the starting job at center away from whoever does win the job, well, guess what? Lemieux's going to be in that competition potentially if, if at some point in time Zeitler should come off the roster. Mm-hmm. Gates Gates is, in my mind, Gates is an absolutely positively good enough NFL guard to play in this league and start. And I think there's a tremendous amount of support that says Lemieux certainly could do that if he does not work out at center. Yep. Yep. And I think that this is all these are all good points that they have talked about and realize that this is how we're going to build depth in this offensive line, the versatility of guys can play this this position, and knowing that some of these guys may not be here in two years, the older veterans. Because Zeitler's not old, but, you know, he's not he's no spring chicken either. Well, at the end of his contract next year, he'll be 31, which, yeah, quite honestly, for an offensive lineman, it's not uncommon to see these guys start to their 35, 36. Yeah, yeah, good ones. Absolutely. So... Well, that'll do it for today's uh, Twitter mailbag, and it's been great to uh, answer some of your questions. Folks, again, you could always hit us up at hashtag GiantsChat on Twitter. He is at Jay Fiegels. I am at GiantsWFAN. We appreciate the time of John Parker Wilson, the Alabama radio analyst and former uh, Crimson Tide and NFL quarterback. He gave us great stuff on Xavier McKinney. That was a lot of fun to listen to. Jeff, uh, as always, enjoyed it, and we'll talk to you again soon. Yep, thank you, Paul. Everybody have a great weekend. So that'll do it for Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll catch you next time.